Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28, please. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be, we're going to be looking at this passage again. We started it three weeks ago um, and then have left it for uh, these last two Sundays. Um, but I'd, I'd like us to take a look at it again as we consider it in light of our vision uh, statement as a church. But I, I don't know what your weekend was like. I trust you had a great weekend. We were over in Salem Friday and Saturday, uh, and we were there because my nephew got married. Um, he got married not in a church. It was in this magnificent mansion of a house. And you came walking in, and, and there was this area where it was all set up, and there was like 20-foot ceiling, and that was pretty amazing, the, the house itself. But then there were these windows that were just right out there, and that was beautiful, except for they were a little dirty, we noticed. But other than that, it was okay, and, and that made the, the groom's mom, my sister-in-law, a little upset. But nonetheless, um, you looked out the windows, and there was this beautiful pond, and beyond the pond was a little hill with green trees. Green. I mean, lush green. Not, not the green we have here in Central Oregon, but literally, honestly, green trees went up that hill. It was a beautiful setting. They got married. But as they stood up there and as they were taking their vows, as, as we were part of the witnesses of, of their marriage union along with God in that place, um, I, I couldn't help but wonder. I don't know if you've ever done that. You go to a wedding, and, and it causes you to think about your own marriage, causes you to wonder about their lives ahead. You know, they're at this starting point. They're becoming one. And, and, and now, what does life look like for them? Where will they live? Where, what jobs will they eventually get? And, and what will their, will their family be like? And I found myself honestly thinking about the stuff we've been talking about. And, and as I'm sitting there witnessing this, this this union, uh, I was praying that God would make them great. Not just mediocre in their marriage. Not just better than most people in America kind of marriage. Not even just a good marriage. But that their marriage would be great as we would define great and have been seeking to define great. That has been my prayer, and it continues to be my prayer. It was my prayer for them. And so today, as we continue talking about this, this idea of, of Cornerstone being a church family that builds, that equips, that helps strengthen families so that they could be great, I'm just encouraged all over again to do that. And so we have said that great families are defined in this, that, that they are those who are seeking to live out the four greats that we are talking about in Scripture. The great confession that, that where Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we're talking about families where, where the foundation of this family is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. In other words, he's the center place. Not mom, not dad, not the kids. They're not the center but Jesus becomes the center or is the center. And everything revolves around Jesus. Amen? We sang songs about the name of Jesus. And we come in and praise Him today. And wouldn't it be cool for families to continue that throughout the week? That Jesus is the focus. He's the center. He's the one we worship. He's the one that gives us our marching orders, so to speak. 
So Jesus is the foundation of a great family. But then we talked about the great commandment, which Jesus himself says to love God with everything in you and to love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commands. So imagine a family where love is the priority, where they are certainly loving each other and growing in in what that looks like. They're acting in love toward one another. But imagine a family that does that with other people. Instead of becoming those that look down their noses at others, they're a family that together is saying, how can we better love that person? How can we show love to them? How can we fall more in love with God together as a family? The love is a priority. And then we started this three weeks ago, as I mentioned, the Great Commission, which says this. If you are there in Matthew 28, look with me at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, that is Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, and here's what we call the Great Commission, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you always to the end of the age. The Great Commission, and we put it this way, we said that, that, that disciple-making is the mission of a great family, that they are concerned and concentrated and, and, and their thoughts are continually on being better followers of Jesus and helping to make other followers of Jesus. They are disciples who seek to make other disciples. And so... A few weeks ago, we talked about what a, what a disciple looks like, one who leaves, leaves everything behind for the sake of following Jesus, one who learns, because the word disciple really literally means a learner, one who learns to, uh, to, uh, about Jesus' teaching, but even beyond that, Jesus says a disciple becomes like his master. So they learn, to, they, they learn to, all about Jesus, but they learn to live like Jesus. And then we said a disciple loves, going back to the great commandment that we just talked about, and a disciple labors. In other words, a disciple is one who makes other disciples. So, I don't know if you saw these when you came in. Any of you picked them up? They were sitting right back there on a stool right as you came through those doors. And I know you like to talk to each other, and that's wonderful because we are a family and we need to catch up. It's kind of family reunion, as Jack calls it, Sunday mornings. But I encourage you as you leave to pick one of these up. It's called Seven for Heaven. Did you know that there are seven weeks until Easter Sunday from this Sunday now? we got seven weeks So we are asking, I'm asking, that you would pray about seven people who you might, on the back of that card, write their names down. You're not turning these in. It's not for me. It's just for you to hang on to. Seven names that you will be praying for, and then over these seven weeks, asking God for an opportunity to reach them with Jesus Christ. And then... We're encouraging you to bring them on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday at our services here, which will obviously exalt the risen Savior Jesus. We just want to see Jesus proclaimed in this community, and we want to give you the, the boldness, the encouragement, the, 
the kick, so to speak, that you might need to take Jesus to people. So, so please pick these up. Pray about who, who, whose name God might put on your heart that you're going to pray for, and you're going to look for an opportunity to share Jesus with and certainly invite them to come to our Resurrection Sunday because that's part of disciple-making, as we'll see. See, because this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like us to talk about the four R's of disciple-making. I'd like us to see in this passage what it takes, what's the process. If, if we are called by this great commission to make disciples, then what does that look like? How does that happen? Because what you need to understand is in this passage, there is only one imperative, one command. And the command is this, make disciples. That's what the command is. Jesus, as he's getting ready to ascend to the right hand of the Father, he is telling his 11 disciples and other followers of his that what their job now is to do is to go out and to make disciples. That's the command. But then we have some other participles, some three participles here that give us an understanding of how that's to be done. How do we go out and make disciples? And I want to give you four R's, four R's that help us. We want to reach, we want to receive, we want to renew, and above all, we rely. Reach, receive, renew, and rely. And those words are found in this text. In other words, first of all, Jesus uses a different word other than reach, but for the sake of alliteration, which all good preachers must use, right? Uh, you're not even with me on that. But anyway, um, I want to use an R. Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The word go is the word I'm wanting to put into the term reach. He says, go. How are you going to make disciples? Go. How are you going to do it? Well, the first step is to go, right? So we reach. We reach out to people with Jesus. I, I want to kind of tweak a mindset that we have. If you've grown up in church or if you've been in church for a number of years, you might have developed this mindset, which basically says, and we use this term we're trying to bring people to Jesus, which I get it. It's a great term. Well, I know what that means. But there's something underlining that, that is there that says, you know what? I have to bring people to Jesus, which if you go further, that might mean I have to bring people to church. I have to bring people to the pastor or the elders or the other teachers in the church. I, I have to bring people to them so that they can, these people that I'm bringing can, can find Jesus. But Jesus turns it around, doesn't he? He's saying, go and take people or take Jesus to people. That's what he's saying. Go, go. See, here's the truth. If you know Christ Jesus as your Savior, and I'm, I'm praying that most all of you do, but if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, uh, or God, the, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. And as you go out in this community, whether you realize it or not, you are taking, in a sense, Jesus into this community. A lot of times we just hide him. We're taking him, but we're hiding him. And we still have the mindset, oh, in order for people to get saved, I've got to bring them to Jesus. No, 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 no. I have Jesus with me, so everywhere I go, I have opportunity to take Jesus to people. Are you following? Are you like going, what is he talking about, or are you with me? 
See, we want to we want to take Jesus to people. We got to get rid of that mindset that says bring him to Jesus. We got to take Jesus to people. That's the first step, is to reach out. And and, and I I heard maybe you heard too. Uh, I like to listen to, uh, I can't even think of the call letters of the station, but they have a lot of good preaching on it. And this week I was listening uh, to that and, and in my truck, and I, I was driving, and, and, and the preacher on, on the radio said this, that I thought, oh, this is so challenging. Do I even dare say it at our church? But I'm going to. He said, and he was talking about something similar to what we're talking about right now, taking Jesus to people. And he said, I was just talking with the worship team. And he said, don't worry, we're not doing this right now. But we came up with this thought. What would happen if our worship team got a gig at a local bar? (laughs) Hear me out. And he goes, because here's what could happen. We could play music. And then in between sets, we could go mix with other people and take Jesus to people in that bar. And i got to be honest with you, I've grown up in church, conservative Baptist church, and that kind of stuff makes me hot under the collars, like, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. But i got to tell you the other side. I go, yeah! How cool is that? Now, he did go on to say, and I think this is very, very wise, he said, listen, if you're a recovering alcoholic, this is not your ministry. Not your ministry. Don't go there. We're not encouraging that. But I love the idea. It's not the mindset of, oh, we've got to get people in through these doors before they can hear about Jesus. No, it's saying, how can we take Jesus to people where they're at? So the first thing we do if we're going to be disciple makers is we reach. We reach. We don't expect them to come. We reach. We, we go out. But secondly, Jesus uses this term. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And then he says this other term, baptizing them. It's the second participle in this command. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This term, baptism, kind of has with it uh, a, a whole lot of facets to it, but the two facets I want to look at is one from the perspective of the person being baptized, but also then the perspective of those who are actually doing the baptizing, okay? Because Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, here's how you're going to make these disciples. You're going to reach, but then as they are baptized, it's like you're receiving them into the family of God. You are receiving them in. See, on the, on the person who's being baptized side, what that baptism says is they are, a, this is, baptism is an expression, an outward expression of an inward change. How did you put it, Jenny? I was trying to remember. You had two words that were so cool the other night. And I, so cool I forgot them, I guess. Okay, outward sign of an inward change. It's an outward sign of an inward change. In other words, the person being baptized has already put their faith and trust in Jesus. They've already become a new creation because they've been forgiven completely by the blood of Christ who's, 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 uh, who they put their faith in. So the baptism, the water baptism, is just a way of them expressing that. 
showing that, demonstrating that, that change that has already happened in their heart. You see, the Scripture says when we, many things happen, but some of the things that happen when we come to uh, saving faith in Christ is, is we, we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We are now dead to sin, right? That's what Paul says in Romans, and made alive unto righteousness, See, and so that inward change that has already happened is being expressed in water baptism. And I'm pointing up here because our baptismal is up there. So there's this demonstration or expression or this outward sign of what has taken place. There's also in baptism for the one who's being baptized an identification taking place. They are saying, I stand with Christ. I am in Christ. I am identifying myself with Jesus. He is the one who has saved me. He is the one that I'm standing with. And, and, and Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through basically 14, describes that. I'm with Christ. So when they're baptized, they're saying, I'm identifying myself with Jesus. But along with that comes an identification with the church, the bride of Christ, the, the body of Christ. So in a sense, the one being baptized not only says, I'm with Christ, but now I'm with the family of God. I'm with, I'm with His body. I'm, I'm, I'm with the people of God. And, and so there's this, there's this identifying themselves with Jesus. But the one, so that's for the one who's being baptized. But, but the one who is making disciples, there is this idea of when somebody is baptized, it is a recognition of what has gone on and a receiving of them into the family of God. Now, now let, me, let me pause for a moment. Let me clear up, make sure I'm as clear as possible on this statement. Baptism does not save the person. Baptism does not mean that they are going to heaven. Baptism is not the way that they find forgiveness of sin. No. Baptism is just an outward demonstration that that's already taken place. Why? Because they've put their total trust, their total faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for their sin and rose again on the third day. That's what saves them. Faith in Jesus. It's by grace. By God's grace through faith in Christ that saves us. Right? Amen? You with me? That's what saves. Not baptism. Baptism is that outward demonstration, that outward sign of what's already gone on inwardly because of my trust in Christ. But for those who are witnessing baptism, it is a, it, it, they get to receive these people now. It's like, oh, this is so cool. And, and here's what I love. I, I, I was thinking about this even this morning, and I get excited because you guys are so good at baptisms. I mean, when you're watching, I, it, it's the one time that I can count on this church family getting excited. Now, some of you are hating me, huh? But you guys clap even when people are baptized. That doesn't happen very much in this church family. I don't know why, but it doesn't. But when somebody's baptized, it's like you guys are in support of those who are being baptized. You do a great job of receiving that and celebrating that, and I think that's awesome. So if we're going to make disciples, going back to this text, it is a reaching 
But it's also a receiving them, those who put their faith in Christ. It's receiving them into the family. But notice what he says next. In verse 20, he says, teaching them, that teaching is the third participle, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is, this is the idea of renewing. This is what I would say is renew. Teaching, teaching. Jesus is saying, listen, I am What's amazing is Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he he talks about taking upon them his yoke. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn of me. A yoke, as we've mentioned before, is a set of teachings that a rabbi rabbi would have. So if one would follow a, a teacher, a rabbi in that day, they also took upon with that his set of teachings, So Jesus is telling his followers, you take on my yoke. You take on my set of teachings. You you learn of me. But Jesus also says, as we mentioned earlier, those who are his followers will become more and more like him. That's going to happen with a renewal of mind. You see, think of this. Somebody who, who comes to Christ after living many years without Christ... They have a worldly worldview, don't they? They think like the world. So this change that has happened in their life is going to eventually have to change their thinking. But it, has, it doesn't happen just like that. They've got to take on a biblical worldview after that. It takes teaching. It, it takes an understanding of what that is. It takes other brothers and sisters at that point coming alongside and caring for them and loving on them and, and helping them choose the right paths now in their life as they have options. It's this renewing. I, I love what Paul says, and, and uh, it's one of my uh, key verses for life where Paul in Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, See, which is what a pre-disciple is, conformed to this world. But instead, he says, be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So this teaching is a a renewal of my mind, a renewal of a disciple's mind. So here's what happens. And and, and it happens all too often, I think. And in fact, I would be the first one to admit I have been guilty of this as well. We reach out to somebody with Jesus They come to saving faith in Jesus. They even get baptized in the church and we rejoice and we receive them as part of our own, but then we drop it. We leave it right there. You're saved. And some say, there's another notch on my belt. (laughs) That's the fifth person this month that I've taken Jesus to. But we leave it there. But Jesus doesn't leave it there in the whole process of disciple making. He says the next step, the third step, and I would say an incredibly vital step that too often gets missed is we need to help them in the renewal of their thinking, in the renewal of their mind by helping them understand more and more what God has given to us in the Bible. Helping them be renewed. See, so if you want to be a disciple maker, don't allow it to stop after they become saved. Continue to walk with them. Continue to help them understand what the Word of God says. And you might say, but pastor, I don't even understand what the Word of God says. Guess what? There's this thing that takes place. As you engage in teaching others, guess who gets taught the most? Right? 
You try to teach somebody and you're the one that learns the most. You want to learn the Word of God? The best way I know how to do it is to disciple somebody. Is to have to teach somebody else. You have to learn it yourself. Your mind has to be renewed, refreshed um, with the Word of God. Your mind has to be engaged, and, and you will learn, and then you can teach, you can renew. So here's, here's the deal. The, the third R is to renew. But you say, Jeff, there's a, there's a fourth R that you said, and I don't see another participle. There isn't another participle, but I'm not making this one up either. Because look at the end of verse 20. Jesus says these words that Lori uh, used another passage for, but Jesus says this. Oops, i got to get there. He says, and behold, which means, listen, th- this is something important for you to hear. Behold. Th- this, is, this is major announcement. This is something for you to get excited about. Behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. I am with you. Here's the amazing thing. As you and I give ourselves over to making disciples, it's not in our own power and our own strength that we do it. And if we attempt to do it in our own power and own strength, we will fail miserably. No, Jesus' words here are encouraging because he's basically saying, which he said at the beginning of verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, the one who has all authority... Not just on earth, but even in heaven, is the same one that goes with us in the disciple-making process. So the fourth R has to be rely. We must always rely upon the powerful presence of the Lord. We always must be looking to Him. We always must be praying. If you've been reading along in uh, the New Testament reading with us as a church, a while back we read Jesus' words to His disciples when He said, don't worry about what to say when you're taken in front of the authorities. Don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you words. That's the idea. Jesus is saying, I'm with you. Now certainly we want to we study. We want to know what the Word says. But if we feel we don't, still do it. Because He can work through us. He'll talk through us. The Lord will be with us always. He doesn't just say, at certain points, I will show up. No, the promise is always. So we always rely upon Him as we are making disciples. So again, let me encourage you. Seven for heaven. All I'm asking you to do on this is to reach. I'm not asking you to receive or even renew. I am asking you to rely upon the Lord as you reach. But that's, the, that's what we're talking about here. Just reach. Well, who would God put on your heart that you could reach for Jesus Christ, that you could pray for and open and look for that open opportunity to share Jesus with them and then invite them to come to our Resurrection Sunday service. That's what we're asking. Just, just reach. Okay? So let me turn a little corner here real quick. What does that look like then in a family? What if a family takes this on? What if a family says, you know, as a family unit... Our mission is discipleship. We have already put Christ at the center. He's our foundation. We have already said that love is our priority. And now we want to have as our mission, as a family, to make disciples. To become more and more disciples of Jesus ourselves. 
but then to make disciples. So let me just finish with a, 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 few, a few dreams for families in this place. A few dreams for us as a church who wants to make families and encourage families and help families like this. So imagine great families where, first of all, dad and or mom are not just talking about Jesus, but are actually acting more and more like Jesus. One of the greatest things that people say they have in not coming to church is because it's full of hypocrites. It begins at home. It begins at home. Too many kids have seen dad and mom the biggest hypocrite of all. Where they go to church and they're a totally different person. And then they go home and it's like, wait, the kid's going, I want the, I want the dad at church. I want that dad. See, moms and dads, you need to be showing your kids what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. See, so don't just talk about Jesus. Do talk about him, but don't just talk about him. Live more and more like him. And when you blow it, you can tell your child, you know what? Daddy blew it. That's not what Jesus would have done. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Will you please forgive me? Here's what I should have done. Here's what Jesus would do. See, that, those kind of things help parents raise their kids to be followers of Jesus Christ. So, so I imagine a, a family where they're not just talking about Jesus, but the mom and dad especially are trying to live more and more like Christ. Secondly, imagine a family where mom and or dad are not raising kids who chase the American dream, but who chase Jesus Christ. I love this one, and I've been harping. This has been heavy on my heart lately. Imagine if we say, life is not all about making money, kid. Life is not even all about your happiness, kid. What if we said, life is all about following Jesus Christ. That's where the abundant life lies. That's where joy is. That's where meaning and purpose is. Yeah, yeah, maybe God will provide you financially as you chase after Jesus. Maybe you will find such, such incredible happiness as you follow after Jesus. But maybe not. The important thing is, follow after Jesus. So imagine a family where that happens. I want to I read this quote because I know some of you are John Piper fans. I am too. But listen to what he says about this in this subject. He says, marriage, are you ready for this? Is for making children into disciples of Jesus. Here the focus shifts. He says, this purpose of marriage is not merely to add more bodies to the planet, the point is to increase the number of followers for Jesus on the planet. God's purpose in making marriage the place to have children was never meant merely to fill the earth with people, but to fill the earth with worshipers of the one true God. I love it. What if we actually believe that? What if we actually had families that said this is our primary goal in raising our kids, that they would be full-on followers of Jesus Christ? Not that they would make lots of money, not that they would have the best and, and greatest job, not that they would go to the most prestigious college, but that they would follow Jesus above all. I think that would be so awesome. 
Anyway, I'll go on. So imagine this. Imagine this thirdly, where prayers for God's leading and disciple-making was a common day occurrence in the family. Every evening, whatever it might be, maybe before the kids are tucked into bed, imagine mom and dad not only praying for our good. You know, we, that's what we pray for. Oh, Lord, help us to be good. Help us to, you know, help our sicknesses to be gone. Help grandma so-and-so to have her stub toe healed. And, and we pray for all these things like that. But what if our prayers were a little more fine-tuned to the Great Commission? What if we prayed, oh Lord, show us how we're to fulfill this mission of making disciples as a family. Show us what that looks like for our family. Show us us how we could do that. Bring something to our attention that, that that would cause us to go, that's it. We need to do this together as a family. Where prayers are taking place that way. Number four, where family is serving the Lord. Notice the word together. Together. See, I... I think too often we have this mindset that children are the church of the future. I understand what's meant by that, but that is so wrong. That is so wrong in my humble opinion. Can children be a part of the church today? If they put their faith and trust in Christ, are they a part of the church today? Why do we say they're the church of the tomorrow They're the church of today for crying out loud. Now, I love my folks. I think they raised me in a a wonderful situation. They, They taught me good things. They took me to a great church. But I never, ever, ever even considered serving the Lord until I graduated from high school. And when I was confronted with an opportunity to serve the Lord then, I was scared to death. Because... I grew up with a mindset that says, oh, only adults serve the Lord. But what if a family said, you know what? My child has received Christ. They're a part of the church family. They're the church of today. Let's get after this together. And then what if, furthermore, what if serving the Lord looks more like everyday disciple-making rather than just a a one-day-a-week duty? I'm really meddling now. We have this mindset, brothers and sisters, that says, okay, I'm going to serve the Lord. So that means I'm going to give two hours on Wednesday night at Awana, and I will serve the Lord for two hours on Wednesday night at Awana. And if somebody else asks me to serve the Lord somewhere else, I can say, oh, I'm already serving the Lord on Wednesday nights two hours a week. We get this mindset that that's what service is. Jesus in his great commission is not saying, do it for two hours. And then the rest of the week, take it easy, right? What if serving the Lord, the mindset became more of this is an everyday opportunity to serve the Lord along with two hours at Awana. Right, Dave? Where's Dave? I saw Dave. I'm not putting down Awana. Stay involved in Awana. In fact, if you noticed in the bulletin, They could use more help in Awana. So you can serve the Lord in Awana, but don't limit it to the two hours on Wednesdays at Awana. See, it's a disciple-making process. And then finally, just for your thoughts, what if each family member was making disciples and supported in prayer and encouragement by the other family members? What if your son and your daughter are encouraged by you to go make disciples at school? And every day you come home and you debrief with them. How did it go? 
Oh man, I tried talking about Jesus. But you know, here's the amazing thing. Kids, <laughs> they have no problem talking about Jesus. I remember almost being embarrassed on a vacation when my son, how old was Caleb? I don't know. He, he was a young guy, and we're swimming in the swimming pool. Next thing you know, he's befriending a, a kid in the pool, and he comes to us afterwards. Yeah, I asked him if he was a Christian. And what did he say? He said, no, I'm German. That's what he said. <laughs> but Caleb is there wanting to reach people with Jesus. And at first it was like, oh, Caleb. And then I was like, I'm so embarrassed that I'm not doing more of that. But here's, here's kids. What if mom and dad were encouraging kids to do that? And that was the talk as you come home and sat around the dinner table. How did it go today? Man, what could you do tomorrow? How, how could you just show love? Maybe not even talk about Jesus at this point, but maybe just show them love. What could you do? See, what if that became a, an opportunity for each family member to encourage? What if kids are doing that to you, parents? What if they're going, hey, were you able to share you know, with Jack today at, at, at work? Wouldn't that be cool? They would see you as a disciple maker. So I'm just throwing these out, and I need to quit because time is up, and I still have somebody to share uh, that I want to share with you because I, I was talking to Keenan this week about this, and I was just saying, man, you know, I, 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 some of you have said this to me, and, and I feel the same. I, I wish I would have thought through this more intently when I was raising my kids. Some of you have said that. And so I was asking Keenan about that this week, last Tuesday, and I said, what, have you guys ever given thought? And uh, he kind of had some answers for me, which I thought were cool. So I'm going to let him close my sermon by sharing with you their mission. Yeah. Um, yeah, we talk every Tuesday, and mostly it's just about, you know, the sermon and the direction of the service. And so um, as we were talking about it, this kind of came up, and he's like, well, why don't you just share that with the church? So um, here I am. Um, just wanted to talk to you guys about um, the experience of adoption a bit. Um, growing up, I just remember feeling really sad at the idea of an orphan. Um, just the thought of somebody who wouldn't have a mom or dad um, just made me feel heartbroken that people would grow up without that and that people didn't have the kind of family, even though my family wasn't perfect, I just wanted that for all the kids that didn't have that. And so I remember feeling a burden uh, for children without families. And, um, you know, Courtney and I pretty quickly after we got married started talking about it. And uh, we made the commitment that we wanted to uh, adopt and we started probing and asking all these questions and doing tons and tons and tons and tons of research. And um, after we kind of figured out that there was a way to do it, we, we pursued it. And um, it's been a roller coaster of an experience, um, ups and downs. It's incredibly expensive and difficult to do, but it was also a really good opportunity to see the Lord working. Um, you know, after years of nothing happening, all of a sudden it was just like a flurry of thing after thing after thing of, you know, we get a call and we got picked and then we got to pack our bags and get on a plane and we drove to the airport and there's a, we get a text of a picture of our daughter on the way to the airport. You know, it's just like, oh my gosh, it happens so fast. And then we, we get on the plane and we fly over and then we meet her birth mom as she comes out of the elevator and we weren't expecting to. And then we go back and we get to meet our daughter for the first time. And uh, then we take her to a, 
a VRBO house, <laughs> a rental house in Atlanta somewhere that I have no idea, and then eventually come back to, to here. And just the, the days of experiencing that new reality that we were going to be in were extraordinary. And um, I guess the, 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 um, the experience of that was, was meaningful to us to learn, but it was also revealing to me about how God not only chose a daughter for us, but how he chose us to be her parents. And um, that seemed like a lot of responsibility, as I confessed with you all a couple of weeks ago when we dedicated her at this church to the Lord. But um, that's why I think I come back to the relying thing that you said, and I, I, feel, um, I feel a lot better when I think about relying on the Lord in that, and that He's going to be with me always. Not that I have to be a perfect father, but that I can be um, just in partnership with Jesus and let Him kind of lead me as a father towards um, making a disciple of my child. And for us, in the case of Scarlett, we believe and we know it was our mission to take in an outsider, a biological outsider, and, and make her one of our family. And, you know, I'm not saying, and some of you, you know, have adopted, and, I, you know, what an awesome thing that is. Some of you um, have not, maybe have thought about it, and I can highly recommend it, uh, as difficult as, and, and hard as it was at times. But some of you maybe are involved in foster care or um, whatever. Even if it's not specifically adopting, the idea of taking into your family from the outside someone and reaching and then receiving them, um, I I guess that's what I I saw as our mission, uh, Courtney and I's mission as a family, and it's a partnership between the two of us to take in outsiders and and make them a part of our family. Um, And I think uh, just the last thing I'll share, and the worship team can come up now, um, is just that it's not because the, I'm going to be this, like, amazing dad and because, you know, Courtney's going to be, like, the world's best mom or something like that, but it's more just the, the fact that God is such a good father to me and to us that his love just causes us to want to be that kind of love to someone else, somebody who, who might not have it. And um, so that's just one practical thing that, that has been a part of our family mission um, and it can take many forms, that same type of thing between adoption, like I said, foster care, or even just like welcoming in somebody who's not a part of your family to be a part of your family. And it's not like um, Jesus is looking for people to, you know, have all the answers so that they can share the answers with somebody. It's more he's looking for people who are so devoted to him that because of what he's done, and then he can work work from there. That's all, that's all that he really needs. And I feel that a lot uh, with Scarlett because I don't necessarily know um, how to be a great dad, but I feel like he's teaching me. So um, with that, I just want to sort of lead us into to singing uh, about how great our father is and let that sort of be a motivator um, just to, to being received as children into his family.